Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the podcast. My name is Michael. And I'm Ben. And we are your armchair S. Take a seat and join us. So Ben, it's been a absolutely incredible weekend. I am elated i'm over the moon i'm ecstatic i can't describe it i'd like to go on record and say that this south africa team is the best rugby team in the history of the game you can't start the podcast with that that is outrageous well tell me why tell me why are you are you saying even compared to new zealand in 2011 new zealand in 2015 even probably south africa in 2019 like do you even think that this team is better yeah Without a doubt. Well, I'll take each argument by itself, right? So, South Africa in 2019. I think our game plan back then was much more simple. We played a lot more conservative rugby. And I don't think that team that won the final wins the three games on the bounce and the knockouts that this we had this year. And the All Blacks team from 2011 to like 2015 plus, like that era, they were phenomenal. I think they were a team of better individuals, but I think as a unit, I think South Africa are better. Just because we have gone World Cup, Lions Series win in the middle of that after having not played any Test Match rugby the year prior and then going to win the World Cup again, going back to back, and also going via the hardest route possible to winning it. Right. I I am going to agree that this is the hardest route to win a World Cup that anyone's ever had. Like, of the top six teams, you are one of them and you played all other five. Like, that is massive. But I think in terms of, like, talent, I would take the 2015 New Zealand team. And, like, don't don't get me wrong. Like, they're very good. And I think your your team structure and the way you play together and the depth of this team is unbelievable. But mm-hmm. there's not many South Africans making the team of the year. Like, that's a bit controversial, I know, but but I think when New Zealand won that World Cup in 2015, the team was stacked full of Kiwis. Yeah, I, I, but I think that, that even proves my point, right? The World Team of the Year is all about the individuals that have standout performances for their teams. So I'm not I'm not saying look at our players individually. I'm looking at them as like a 15 and a 23. And I think that as a whole, I would stack up against the rest. I think I, I do agree. I think like the 2015 All Black side is one that it would take a lot to beat. But we remember that the semi final was between the All Blacks and South Africa in 2015. Mm-hmm. And it was only 20 to 18. Like it was a really close semi final. So, you know, that team in 2015 ran the All Blacks really close. I think this team would run them closer if not actually beat them I, I i mean i disagree technically they had double the points winning margin of any of your knockout games in that so <laughs> like what are you trying to say like you want to eat your games by one point but no i do think that is the thing about the south african team that you just find a way to win and like yeah. no matter how much like rooted against you like you just come through every time and fair play you deserved winners like i just don't think that they're better than the 2015 team 
like the adrenaline's coursing through my body still. So I think I'm still riding the high. Maybe ask me in like a week or so if I still hold the same thing. But I mean, it's always, we've heard it when you're trying to think about like the GOAT of basketball. You know, people have like LeBron, Kobe, Michael Jordan, and you can just never know because, you know, you're never going to have each team's like in their primes going head to head. But I think, you know, the All Blacks definitely defined like the early 2010s. There was kind of like a big switch, but now it's looking like South Africa are, you know, claiming the 2020s, particularly the early 2020s as their own. Yeah, I, I agree. In fact, I'm going to go back on that. I, I disagree. I think what South Africa are really, really good at is like turning up for the World Cup and for that Lions series. But if you look between World Cups, like you just don't dominate. I think you won the 2019 Rugby Championship and then New Zealand have won every one since. So I think as a team, they can get together and come for these massive events, but like consistently year on year, you don't back it up. Who gives one? Like, no one's going to remember that one weekend in August where New Zealand, you know, beat us, you know, in Dunedin, for example. It sounds like you remember. And we, you know, England may have beaten us on the, you know, the 24th of November. Everybody is only going to remember the the big events. And there is nothing bigger than in a, in a four-year span as two World Cups with a Lions series in the middle. That is the pinnacle of rugby success. And we've done it. I, I agree. Like, you, you do turn up these big things. I just think if we're still on the topic of best team ever, like that New Zealand team 2011 to 2015 basically didn't lose. They won everything. Yeah. And like, that's, that's the only reason I would put them above you. Like, I think this team is like unbelievable, especially, you know, you've had big injuries, as we say in that run. But I just think that consistency is probably where that it stops you from becoming that best team ever. Yeah, I, I, I'll... Uh... I hear your point. I don't know if I agree, but I hear it. I hear it. <laughs> I mean, going into that game, realistically, you, you beat a team by a point that had uh, 14 men for 55 minutes. It's, uh... <laughs> hey, massive credit for the All Blacks because, like you said, they were down 14 men and I couldn't tell that they had 14 men on the pitch. I, I generally like just forgot. Just purely in the way that they actually played the game was yeah, sensational. Yeah, they put a huge shift in. For them to stay within a point, and like at times they were drifting behind, you were kind of kept the scoreboard ticking over. Yeah, unbelievable. We've mentioned the red card. It's a shame that the rules haven't been applied consistently throughout the World Cup. Like pre the World mm-hmm. Cup, definitely a red. But like in the group stages and stuff, we were seeing those given as yellows and stuff. And I think it's just a shame that it puts a discussion on this game. Was it a red? Was it not? How come that was a red and um, Khaleesi's wasn't? I just think it's a shame because at the end of the day, it was given and you won. So like, it's nothing that you, the players could have done differently. Yeah. Well, rugby just need to sort it out and apply it consistently, I think. Obviously, this might sound a little bit biased, but I actually give a lot of credit to Wayne Barnes for making the decision. Well, I think what we also need to clarify is Wayne Barnes gave it as a yellow first and then he put it to review. And what that means is that decision to upgrade it to red isn't Wayne Barnes's, nor is it the TMO or anybody in the assistant referees or in the box. It goes to another centre in Paris. They're away from the stadium. It's an independent panel, and they decided that there was no mitigation, therefore upgraded to a red. 
Yeah, they sent it to the man in the bunker and he flipped a coin and uh, it came out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's nothing to do with the refs. As, well, in the first half, I thought maybe there was a few calls that I wouldn't have made or, or would have made the other way and stuff. But realistically, mm-hmm. as we've said it time and time again, if you're in a position where one ref's call could have changed the game, then it's fair enough if you lose. So, I, I, yeah, I don't think it's anything. I don't think Barnsley had the worst game of his life, but there was stuff that you know, maybe maybe would have gone differently on another day, but it's just how it goes. Yeah, I, I think I think so, and I think that's where like rugby is almost like this beautiful game because you know a ref isn't going to get a hundred percent of the course, like it isn't, and then it's all about how do how do teams respond to things not going their way, and like you said earlier about the Springboks, they still found a way to do it because I reckon you know you could have, um, I'm sure. You know, French fans, uh, you know, still livid about Benakis' performance and said, oh, how lucky, you know, are Springboks to, you know, get one-point victories all the way through the knockouts. But probability that it was just pure luck that they managed to do that, you know, be infinitesimal. And it's just, they Springboks found a way to go around the ref and go around the, um, the chance calls and managed to put more points on the board. Yeah, it's true. It is true. You at the end of the game, you have more points, so you win. It's as simple as that, yeah, really, isn't it? Hey, <laughs> but hey, South Africa are the masters of the dark arts of the game, though. Little moments in the game where you do like small things that might be illegal, but they're not illegal enough to worth penalising. And I think mm-hmm. the one that comes to my mind is there's a scrum, and it's your scrum. And Aaron Smith goes around to tackle, and Peter Steftertoit just fully has his arms all the way around him. <laughs> And he can't do anything in defence. And it's just like little stuff like that has such a big difference in the game. To be honest, it's clever. Like other teams hate it. But realistically, if if your team was doing it, you'd be loving it. Yeah. And I think I would would like to gently remind you, Ben, of I said this exactly the same. I think was it during the the Ireland-Scotland game? Where you know Tyburn ran that ran that route, and he you know bumped the Scottish player, and then Gary Ringrose went straight through that centre. Obviously, in the final, everything's just highlighted to a further extent. You know, everybody is watching it. It is the biggest stage possible. Um, so, um, New Zealand are also the masters of the dark arts. Like, that is mm-hmm. literally what they have been known for, you know, since, like, the Richie McCaw era. And I'm just glad that we had tactics and had some tricks up our sleeve to kind of counter it. Fully support the dark arts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, New Zealand getting Snape in, teach them defence against the dark arts for the next <laughs> World Cup. They're coming back firing. Yeah, I tell you what though, it is lucky that you, you know, you were in the lead because you could not drop goal for anything. Oh, oh hey, I'm, I'm sure Ford and Farrell could have come into training camp if you needed because um, that was not good. It was it was horrific to watch. Like obviously, for those that don't really remember, but uh, in nineteen ninety five, it was Joel Stransky, you know, kicked the winning drop goal for South Africa to beat the All Blacks in that final. And I'm sure you know that has been like one of the highlight moments of you know all young South Africans growing up. And you know, very similar to how you know everybody remembers Johnny Wilkinson's drop goal in two thousand three. You know, it's just so ingrained in everyone's mind. And in such a close game. If one of those, you know, goes over, then I think, you know, it would have put, you know, a massive swing in the game in terms of momentum. But I love the fact that we didn't stop trying. 
Yeah. I really admire I really admire it, the resilience. Because we never you know, there's no real disadvantage for the drop kick going wrong because the kick chase is good enough and they could, you know, rely on the defence that, you know, New Zealand aren't gonna get that much of an advantage, you know, off it. So I'm all for it. Yeah, so kids keep trying and trying even if it doesn't work because it's still not going to (laughs) work hey even if it doesn't work you might win a world cup yeah that's never mind (laughs) i mean like we've said how new zealand put a shift in but i think defensively the only team to talk about is you guys because you were roasting me last week for england not playing any rugby I did not see any rugby from South Africa. That was kick, 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 defend, defend, defend. And boy, it was good. I think to say that we play no rugby, I think it's a little bit harsh. Like, I think we think about, you know, Kurt Lierense so nearly scoring when he knocks the ball on over the trial line, but had his foot out in touch. And also prior to that, when uh, Sio Khaleesi, you know, makes the break and Man, I so I was shouting for him to offload it because I thought we were going to score a try, and we'll, you will come back to that. But there were other elements where we were so so close. But I think, I think you know we go back to 2019, and you, that game was very similar. You know, close affair. It was all about um, points off the tee and just building the pressure until about. 65 minutes into the World Cup final was then when you know we, we scored the two tries. I'm not worried about not playing rugby because um, it's not about just us not playing rugby, but it's also stopping New Zealand from playing rugby. And like they had so much more possession than we did mm. and we still managed to score more points to them. I mean, a saying in the NBA is that defence wins you championships. And I think that translates perfectly to um to rugby in this scenario as well literally your whole team was just like making tackles peter steph to toy he's, he's joined the record for most tackles in the final in 28 all of your starting forwards were in double digit tackles and that's including fori for bongi because that injury was an yep. absolute defensive shift and the seven turnovers to new zealand's two i mean they were a back row down but like still that's that's just domination it's yeah it did win the game for you. I want to name my firstborn Peter Steph. Like, I'm so serious because I have, like, he put in such an incredible performance in 2019. Just to to think about what that guy has gone through. And I don't know how many people know this about him, but he had such a terrible leg injury after 2019 where he almost lost his leg. And so the fact that, you know, he managed to bounce back and then he had a season-ending injury against the Lions as well, so he didn't finish out that series. So for him to bounce back, to go to Japan, and to have the performance he did on that on the biggest stage, I uh, I couldn't believe it. That guy just he gave his absolute heart out. And what I remember most about Sia Khaleesi, he had a he had an interview, and he was basically talking about Peter Steph, and. I remember Peter Steph, after the final in 2019, you know, he went to stand at the back of the podium. It was all about the team success. And also, he's really tall, so he'd block out all the little people that we have on our team. <laughs> but the way that he's transformed over the four years is that like, he, he talks about how when they were down against England, how Peter, it was Peter Steph that was, you know, 
leading them on the field and, you know, bringing everybody's energy up. Whereas, you know, before Peter Seth is that quiet guy that goes and does the hard work and leads by example. But now he's actually leading with his voice and, you know, being that leader in the locker room. So I just, oh, I just absolutely adore the guy. I thought he was sensational. I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant about other players. Dion Free, oh my goodness. Right, okay, we'll we'll lead the lineouts and put I, it in the corner. To be fair, I was going to bring that up, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I preempted it. <laughs> and deservedly so. Our lineout success was about 60% or something. It was horrendous, and it's something to look back on. But the fact that he managed to play 78 minutes in a World Cup final against the All Blacks you know, in a position which he doesn't normally play and held his own in the scrum and just made 21 tackles throughout the rest of the game. Man, oh, talk about inspirational. That was sensational performance from him. And I don't want this to sound curt. Like, he had an unbelievable game. He was so good. All those tackles like in the scrum, he was good. But I think he's just not a hooker because of that, like, line-out success rate. And I think mm-hmm. I think you were lucky that New Zealand were forward down. But I think if he'd started in the back row, yeah, I'd be going, wow, unbelievable. So I don't want to caveat his performance. I just think like in a different position, you wouldn't have anything to say about him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I get that. But I think the way I, the way I'm thinking about this is yes, he's not a hooker. I wouldn't say he is. You know, he's a flanker that had hooker experience. And it was very clear from the asset he was our emergency hooker which then allowed us to bring Andre Pollard in. And we need to talk about how vital that was. Just by having that experience, just being able to hold yourself in your own in the scrum, because you know that's where your speciality of a hooker comes, the scrum and the line-out. Because Andre Pollard was perfect off the tee the entire competition. Every kick he had off the tee went through the poles. He didn't miss a single one. And... Talking about the close margins we had in the knockouts, it's just something we absolutely relied on. And yeah, he's got the name of the Iceman for a reason. Goodness me. Unbelievable. You feel bad for Manny, but at the same time, I don't know if you'd have won the game with Manny. <sighs> yeah, I, I don't think we would have either. It, you know, look at that game compared to the Qatar Cup game that they had in, you know, the end of August. So, so different. And it was all down to a game of attrition. And Manny has been sensational. And I don't want anything to be taken away from him because we don't have the performances against France without Manny. Mm. You know, just his attacking mindset is something that has allowed our attack in general to develop from 2019. I am excited to see, you know, him grow, to see him develop as a more, you know, world-class international fly half. And, you know, be able to play both styles of rugby. But we wouldn't be in the position we were without Manny LeBoc. You know, he led us to victory. Particularly, you know, when Pollard went down injured, you know, for the you know the past like year and a bit. So I think, yeah, he was sensational. I think that's it. Like LeBoc's so good. Like he's played so well. He's done so much good stuff. But I'm not sure like finals rugby. I don't think he's got that experience yet. And, and that skill set is not how he normally plays the game. Like four more mm-hmm. years time, that could be pretty scary. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Because he like, I mean, we're gonna we'll touch on this later, but he's on the list for breakthrough player of the year, which basically means you know his international debut has only been within the past year. So I think to 
to have the pressure on him to think that he is, you know, was finals ready, World Cup final ready by the end of a year is a big ask. But in my eyes, he did the job that he was set out to do. Mm. And yeah, I mean, thank the Lord that we have Andre Pollard that, you know, managed to bounce back from injury to come and lead us to a World Cup victory. One last thing I want to say before I guess move on is just how gutted I am Sam Kane. Like we said about his red card, but he's always going to remember that. He's the captain. He We were talking mm-hmm. about how much abuse he's kind of had online previously and then how good he was in the quarters and the semis. You just know that the New Zealand media are going to absolutely rip into him. Mm-hmm. The worst thing was watching him do that interview at the end of the game. Like no one should have to do that. That was cruel. Yeah, I have all the respect in the world for the All Blacks. Um, I really do. I think the true leadership that he showed is he knows that, you know, it's on, it's partly on him. You know, he let the team down. That game, you know, changes completely if he stays on the field. I have no doubt about it. But he's going to own that now. And very much like Sam Warburton in 2011, you know, the red card against France, you know, it stays with him and it will stay with him for the rest of his life now. So, and that's just the type of player he is. And, you know, uh, that's that's almost what you want from your leader. You know, no excuses. He just owns his mistake and carries on. I think also people have got to put it into perspective. Richie Moanga had a quite a poor night, in my, in my opinion. Again, I didn't think, you know, he was sensational against Argentina. And again, I just didn't think he was that great. You know, missed a couple off the tee. Geordie Barrett, you know, missed the kick as well, put New Zealand, you know, in the lead after the try. And there are there are opportunities that went afoot um, outside of the red card incident. When I was watching it in the pub in Inverness, I could see a couple of All Blacks jerseys around. I was proudly wearing my, my jersey and uh, our table was like right in the middle of the pub. The pub was packed to the, the full house. But I could see a couple jerseys and I was like, I was texting one of my friends and I was like, yeah, I can't tell who's supporting who here. But then as soon as kickoff happened, I found out very quickly that I was like the only Springbok supporter in the pub. Everybody else wanted New Zealand to win. So it was literally 50 v 1. It was such a good feeling. It was like the beginning of my villain arc when the final <laughs> wasn't blown. It was just the silence and me going crazy in the middle of the pub. But the point of my story is that about five minutes later, one of the guys wearing an All Blacks jersey came up to me, shook my hand and said, hey, great game. That was that was fantastic. And I said to him, look, if there was any team I would happily lose a World Cup to, it would have been the All Blacks. And he said the same to me. And he also said anybody but England, oh, which I also agree with. <laughs> outrageous. I bet you did. So shout out to that guy. Hey, to be fair, All Blacks fans are unbelievable. In 2019, I was actually in New Zealand, down in Queenstown for the England-New Zealand semi-final. And I was in the bar and I was nervous. I thought we were going to get battered. But, you know, proud, English shirt on, ready, watching. Mm -hmm. And then we beat them. I just couldn't believe it. And so many people that night came up to me, shaking my hand, saying, well done. And I was just like, this is just so nice. Like, just great people. One guy offered to buy my shirt off my back for a thousand dollars, but um, his wife stopped him. So that was gutted. I would have taken that any day of the week. Right. The, the last story I, I want to say about this match: a, a guy that is without a doubt my favourite All Black is Ardi Sevilla, and like I know that he has such a personal relationship with Sia Khaleesi. Like they are like best of friends, like off the pitch. 
And I saw on Twitter this week that like 50 minutes after the final whistle, he he kind of did like a lap of honour. You know, he's just going around, you know, just saying thanks to all the fans. And um, he's like walking past the like the huge section of Springbok fans. And um, they're all chanting his name. And, you know, he like couldn't believe it and like stopped. And, you know, he didn't think this chanting was for him originally. And then he stopped and, you know, said a personal thank you to all, all the guys before carrying on. And, I mean, what an ambassador. Just such an incredible person. Hey, such a good bloke. He's my World Player of the Year. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But, yeah, I think that's, I mean, we could, I could happily talk about that fixture for for the next four years. And I will be because we're... <laughs> Back to back, baby. <laughs> Another four years. Oh, it's so good. But I think it's also worth do a recap of the England Argentina game. Yeah, yeah. So third place playoff and spoke last week. Should it be a game? Should it not? I said yeah. Um, I think the game proved otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, it started off well, like big intensity. But I think the kind of emotional side of it, staying up for it. For a third place playoff after you know you've just been knocked out the week before kind of showed and like you where you get tired you don't kind of carry on how you might have done otherwise so as the mm-hmm. game went on like you could notice the quality dipping but the reason I am happy that this game went ahead is now Owen Farrell is the top point scorer from the World Cup so congrats to Owen Farrell what a hero England captain and um yeah what, what do you think of that Mike? Uh, no comment Let's move on. I was pretty vocal in the previous pod how I don't see that much of a point in a third place playoff anymore. Hmm. I think the the risk of injury and just I just I don't see there's as much of a need anymore. And this game didn't really provide a counter argument. I, I was so excited. I thought we would see a a much more uh, exciting display of rugby. But England just, I mean, I don't know why I expected any different from England, but it, they were the same conservative, let's kick, kick, kick. And I was really hoping Argentina were going to win. I, I won't lie. And I thought they were going to do it, but they managed to, England managed to scrape by. I mean, I'm just glad of a close game, mm. you know, in general. I think we all love those tense affairs that, you know, we don't know which way it's going to go. I think, I don't know, I, I think I was a bit naive in expecting England to play this expansive game of rugby where the whole tournament they've shown us that that isn't in their arsenal just yet. But I mean, you have Henry Arundel on your wing that is literally one of the informed players of the comp and he got zero passes. He didn't, you didn't get the ball out to him once. All right, I've got two comments on this. I, I agree okay. with you, we should have got the ball out and I was really hoping... That because not that it's a nothing game, but it's like it's not an all or nothing game. And I thought mm-hmm. with picking players like Henry Arundel, like you know, we get the ball out to the wing more, we try and play more expanse. But and I was I was disappointed that that didn't happen. But I also want to say when people say like, oh, he didn't get the ball at all, he also didn't go looking for the ball. When you think about mm-hmm. like Mark Talia for New Zealand, like he was popping up everywhere and taking carries, like. He was getting the ball the whole time. And Will Jordan did not... He stuck on the wing pretty much all game and, and was really mm. quiet. And I think if if the ball's not coming to you, 
you have to go and find it. Otherwise, you are going to get no touches. Mm. And where he's young, maybe like he's still learning that, or maybe it was just the game plan is like you stay on your wing, you chase kicks. Yeah, I think I think it's be a bit of both. I reckon. I think I saw a couple of clips on on Twitter as well where like for box kicks, like his his timings and his angles trying to get to the the catcher was just a bit off. So I think just a, a massive learning experience for him and. Yeah, he is super young, so I wouldn't be surprised if you know he's a name that we see one, two World Cups down the line. So, yeah, I think we kind of got to take it with a pinch of salt. Credit to Argentina because they turned up as well. Like, you know, considering mm-hmm. that poor start that everyone you know been talking about, they really grew throughout the competition. And it, I'm, I'm glad that they didn't let that drumming by New Zealand kind of ruin their kind of moods and stuff. And yeah, mm-hmm. like they played well and just weren't good enough on the night, to be fair. A question I'm going to ask you, Ben, in like a impartial way, not not as an England fan. Easy. There was a, a minute. I know it might be a bit hard for you. <laughs> so late in the second half, Argentina managed to get a penalty in England's half, and it's kind of in that range where you can kick for the to, the touch and go for a maul, or you take the three. And Argentina opted to go for three. Now you have. Buffelli in your team still, who has been phenomenal off the tee, hardly missed anything, and you give the kicking responsibility to Nicolas Sanchez, who's come off the bench, not as warm as Buffelli, and he then misses the kick to put them ahead. What do you think is going through their minds? Yeah, I was shocked at that, actually, especially as I had Buff in my fantasy team as a super kicker. What's going on there? <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, yeah, Sanchez was fresh. Also, like you go back through time, like Nicolas Sanchez off the tee, you back him 99 times out of 100 to slot a kick like that. So like, I'm not surprised that he, he got to kick, but at the same time, I'm not sure I would have uh, would have done that. I, I just thought that Buffelli had been in such a rhythm already, unless he was injured or completely knackered, like handing over that responsibility just, uh, you know, didn't seem like the right call for me. And maybe I'm just looking that, you know, with, you know, roast into glasses because Nicolas Sanchez missed it. Hmm. So obviously I'm thinking, well, Buffelli should have kicked it. We we also have to mention, I want to give a special shout out to Marcus Kremer as well, because he has now, I believe, had the most tackles in the entire tournament. Hmm. He only needed like 10 in that game to um, get the, the all-time record. So they played their heart out. They gave it their best and just unfortunately came short yet again. Matt, that is a lot of tackles. No wonder he's got such a big beard. It's like a speed bump for his face. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's, it's, it's incredible. Looking at Argentina and England, like just in terms of this World Cup campaign, like they, I don't think Ireland can be too pissed if they won or lost that game. I think coming third and fourth would have exceeded their expectations coming in. From, from, our perspective, from my perspective anyway, I think they've done very well to get to third and fourth. Mm. And so I think no matter the result of that out, uh, that game, I think they could be very happy with their performance. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think I think that we should kind of wrap this game up here because there wasn't a lot to talk about. But I am just mm-hmm. glad that both you and I support a top three team in the world. Like This is really good for rugby and for our friendship. And yeah, it's great, great stuff. <laughs> Do you know, actually, you're, that's not actually quite correct. Because New Zealand have now gone down to third and Ireland are second. Ten minutes ago, it's all about the big events. No one remembers anything else. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I, just, look, I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> we don't want to, you know, spew out fake news to our listeners. So I'm just, just giving you the truth. Hey, coming third in the World Cup, that's third in my books. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> the, I think what we should definitely go on to is, yeah, we've got the world rankings now, um, but we also have the awards night mm. on Sunday evening, which is where they kind of wrap up the year, the rugby calendar year, and um, give some awards for player of the year. Breakthrough player of the year, coach of the year, as well as like some sevens players as well. But I think we'll just focus on the 15 side for, for for this part of the podcast. So where where do you want to begin? Let's start at the most controversial of the of the kind of awards, and that is coach of the year. Andy Farrell won it, and I think it's quite controversial because Ireland came, well, they got knocked out in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Um, mm-hmm. I think last year, fair enough, give it to Andy Farrell the way they beat New Zealand, Six Nations and stuff. But yeah, I think it's a, a bit cruel to uh, Nina Arba, Raul Louis from Fiji, who's, who's in there. And you know what? Where is the Portuguese coach? Well, honestly. Not even nominated. Where, where is like any tier two representation in these awards? Like just even in the nominees. I don't know why there's nobody in there. And to be fair, Simon Raul Louis is in there from Fiji for coach of the year and like well-deserved nomination. They're, they're tier one in my books. They're yeah, tier one. you're probably right. But yeah, I, I agree. I just think Portugal, how good were they at this World Cup? Their first ever win, first draw. They've won the hearts of the people. They had a tough qualification. Like a few years back, they were kind of nowhere in the second tier of European rugby. Like yeah. That, surely, if you're not giving it to the World Cup winners, it's got to go to a team like that. I think it's harsh. This isn't the slating on Andy Farrell because... Like he is a quality coach, Six Nations. He's done loads, but they just didn't didn't do it on the big stage. So yeah, I think this is where World Rugby, particularly in World Cup years, need to define this a bit better. Because like Jacques Nienaba, yeah, obviously I think he's one of the best coaches ever, and what he's done for us is you know immeasurable. But like Ireland's success over the the year has been phenomenal. Like they you know went on you know, 17 game win spree where, you know, we didn't come close to that. So I feel like the dominance that they had and, you know, if you think about it, they were three games away from winning the World Cup. I just think that I, I'm not too surprised by Andy Farrell. And I think we have to give credit and give like the overall perspective of the year. So I'm I'm, a ha- I'm happy for Andy Farrell to have it because, you know, Jacques is a two-time world champion now. I'm sure he's not going to mind not getting coach of the year. So. <laughs> yeah, true. But I guess, you know, the big player award, player of the year, I think that was quite a fair, quite a fair award. Mm-hmm. Ardi Surveyor won it and deserved to win it because he was unbelievable all year. Yeah, I agree. I think if it was Ibn Etzebeth instead of him, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid. I think those two have just been sensational all year round. And I think, World Player of the Years, you know, they are just so invaluable to their their team. Like you take Eben Etzbeth out of our out of our squad, you know, we would struggle. And I, I just think he has been pivotal to our success. The one, so the other two nominees for those that don't know was Bundy Aki, the inside centre for Ireland, and Anton Dupont, the scrum half for France. Mm. I mean, we're not surprised that Dupont's there. I mean, he is he is magical. Yeah, I thought Bundy Aki was. A, I thought that was a bit controversial, in my opinion. I, I think he was phenomenal in the the run-up to the World Cup and, you know, during the World Cup. But I just don't... I don't think he was been sensational all year long. 
I think with all of, all of these four players, like I actually can't remember seeing a bad game from them all year. Do you know what I mean? Like Bundiaki mm. was unreal. He was probably the best player in the game where they lost. He was good in the Six Nations, but yeah, I I think he was a surprise name. But looking back, I don't think it's unfair. Yeah, I I, I don't like the pick personally. I can't think of anybody at the top of my head that deserves to be there ahead of him. But I just, I think I was a little bit just surprised by by his presence. I, I do think he's a phenomenal player. He had a fantastic World Cup. But anyway, he didn't win. So I'm not that fussed about it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I, I wrote in my notes, I just I thought Ed, Edsbeth would get it because he won. But I think Ardy does deserve it. I think he's played unbelievably. Yeah. And I think so the, the final category, we touched on it earlier. It's the breakthrough player of the year. So this is somebody that, is very new to the rugby scene, has kind of taken the scene by storm. So we had Tamati Williams from New Zealand. We had Manny Libok and then Louis B. Berry as well from France, the winger. And also Mark Talia, who took home the award. And in my eyes, no questions. Hey, the eel strikes again. He's been so good. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this doesn't catch on. <laughs> he does, mate. The eel, he strikes and... Yeah, he's he's been ridiculously good, well deserving of the award. Even if he went to the strip club during the <laughs> and missed the semi final, but hey, hey, that's why I heard he's called the eel. He's got the oil from the strip club still on him, so yeah. that's why he's so slippery in tackle. <laughs> yeah, he was actually on the pole. That's why he's so slippery. Goodness sakes! Uh, uh, yeah, and he has been sensational. Yeah, like you said, he always comes looking for the ball, and he just. He just finds that way to be the first defender, and then just his 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 footwork is in, so impressive, and he just manages to stay so light on his feet and just evades everything. I'm not surprised by this at all. And again, just like you've got Martley on one wing, Will Jordan on the other wing, and just like New Zealand in producing wingers is just yeah, it doesn't make sense. I don't know why they're so good out there. Yeah, he's unbelievable. But fair play to him. I think we're the the last thing that they kind of like announced was the the World Rugby Team of the Year. I won't go through the 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 entire list. I think I think that'll be quite harsh for everyone to listen to. But was there any particular positions before I give you what I thought where you were like, what's happening here? And I will just kind of say for, for everybody who's not seen the list, Eben Etzebeth was the only South African in that lineup even though we have just won the World Cup. So we'll come back to that. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Ben? There were a few surprises, I think. I think there are a couple of players who are in there on merit from years gone by rather than this year. Ooh. Ty Furlong being one of them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Get out. Like, yeah, he's been unbelievable, but at the same time, I, I don't think he was the best tight head of the year. Saying that, no. who would you give? Uh, maybe Anto- we need Antonio. It's, it's either between him or Franz Malherbe in my books. Uh, I just think, like, Franz Malherbe, again, he's one of those dirty guys that just goes about the doing business quietly. He has been a hallmark of South African rugby ever since he came onto the squad. So, it, I mean, I'm slightly biased, but I don't see there being another tight head. Antonio, I could make you can make an argument for, but... Yeah, I think both of those guys are ahead of Ty Furlong. Yeah, I, I think Mal Herbert is so good, but I think he's also, he's very like nuts and bolts. Like he, he scrums, he does the basics. I think that's where like 
Winnie Antonio's got one up on him. Like he's more better around the park, especially for like getting noticed and stuff. But yeah, I think that was that was a bit of a surprise. The other mm-hmm. one I'd say was Gary Ringrose at thirteen. Yeah, again, yeah, I think he has been phenomenal in years gone by as well. But so, who would you put at thirteen instead? Do you know what? This is where I'm going to say a South African player, Mike Jesse Creel. I would so happily have him there. He has been. I really would. Unreal, like. In defence, like apart from you know that blatant head-on-head contact in the, the in the group stages that didn't get called, he's <laughs> just been ridiculous. Yeah, he's been everywhere. He's done everything. Like he might not be the wildest in attack, but I, I think he's probably been the best thirteen of the year. I, I agree. I think you know the thirteen for South Africa has been the Kanye's arms for so long, and you know rightly so. He's he's a world-class player. Jesse Creel has now made that shirt his own, particularly in the most recent months. And that guy is so underrated, never gets the credit he deserves. So I would have loved for him to have this moment of recognition. And I know that within our setup, they would have definitely sang all his praises because just the way he attacks and more importantly defends, because defending at 13 is the hardest position to defend. Yeah, absolutely instrumental um, to our success. But I'm not. I'm not gonna be too mad. I'm not gonna be too mad. Yeah. Is there anyone else that surprised you being in there, Mike? Caelan Doris. I didn't love the pick, mm. so I think that was that to me. Just kind of seems like they're trying to. They couldn't pick between him and Ardy as number eight, but so they decided to give you know Caelan Doris uh, one of the other back row positions. Caelan Doris is not six. I think everybody else is playing in their position that they play. I think I'm not sure if Will Jordan is a. I think Will Jordan might be a 14. Um, yeah. But but besides that, I think they need to pick a, like an out and out flanker. Uh, in my opinion, like Jack Morgan could have been Jack could have been on that list instead of Kalen Doris. I just think Kalen Doris has been phenomenal, but I just don't think as of late in this last year he's not been. Like that impressive. Do you know what? I fully back you with Jack Morgan. What a shout. Like he's been so good this year. Even when Wales haven't been good, he has been like a shining light. So that's such Absolutely. a good thing. And do you know what? I'm going to go and say it. I think Doris is a little bit overrated. Oh, okay. I'm saying at eight, I'd be picking between Ardi Severe and Gregory Aldrey if I was had to pick mm-hmm. between two. Like I would put Doris in like the next tier down. Like so good. But like, if someone's like, you can have Surveyor, Audrey, or Doris, like Doris would be the last on my list. I, I would agree with that. I think he is, he'd be third on my list as well. But again, old, um, Kellen Doris is only 24, maybe yeah. 25 now. He's still super young. So just to be third on that list, uh, you know, at that age just shows how incredible he could be, um, you know, in the future coming up. So yeah, I think apart from that, everyone else, you know, made a lot of sense. I can't really have. You know, too much, too much argument in that. I think, as I said earlier, I think South Africans got snubbed quite a lot, but I think we've had a lot of change up in our squad. I don't think we've had too many regulars that start every game, and yeah, I think we've just rotated a lot throughout the year, whether it be for injuries or for squad development. So I think that has then impacted anybody's you know application as as such, you know, for team of the year. But like I said, the boys will not care. They've got the gold medals around their necks. So they they won't care about this award at all. 
Yeah, and I fully agree with you there. I think like South Africa have like unreal depth and you can like kind of cycle through a few players, but your system's so good. But yeah, as we kind of were saying earlier, Etzebeth definitely in there, probably Jesse Creel. Like I actually don't think you're that hard done by elsewhere. Not because your players aren't really good, but yeah, they get swapped and like yeah, you don't have like out and out superstars in a lot of positions. Like even Tia Khaleesi, massive name. He's going off like forty five minutes in a few of those big games. Mm-hmm. So I just, I'm not sure you can put some of these players on the team. I could make an argument for Malcolm Marks at hooker. I think he is, I think in my mind, him and Dan Sheehan are the two best uh, hookers in the world. And I think, yeah, between him, Dan Sheehan and... I'd say both of the French, both of the French hookers I'd put in now. Mouvaka and Marchand. Yeah, between Sheehan, Marks and Marchand, I wouldn't be... That I think putting those in like top three, you know, any order would probably be okay. But I, I think Mark and Marks, you know, we saw how pivotal he was to us. Yes, we got the job done without him, but I think, yeah, that guy is absolutely world class. Yeah, apart from that, yeah, it would be tough to kind of knock any of these guys off. But that's, a, that's what I was saying about, you know, right at the beginning of the pod. We're not uh, a team of individuals. We are a team 1-33 to in terms of the World Cup squad. Mm -hmm. And I think that, at the end of the day, we got the biggest prize of them all for another four years. So, yeah, I'm I'm not complaining. But I want to tell you a little funny story, actually. So, obviously, there's quite a few uh, players that weren't there in attendance because, obviously, they they went home a lot earlier. Um, Obviously, all the Springbok guys are there. So... They get off the the team bus. Everybody's like in their suits. They're walking into the the venue, and then the bus starts to pull away, and then it grinds to a halt. And then Manny Libok jumps off. Crowley fell asleep at the back of the bus, <laughs> and they nearly drove off without him. So he had to stop so he could hop out and get into the venue. I, that would have been even funnier if he won the award and he was just asleep <laughs> on the bus. He's off. <laughs> I think it's just horrible to think that we have to wait another four years for a World Cup. I, I want the three-peat to happen again, you know? It's not happening. The three-peat's not happening. I'm telling you right here, right now. <laughs> if it does, I'm not sure I can talk to you again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> A lot of my distaste uh, for South Africa comes from, from your love for South Africa. <laughs> it's, been an, it's been an incredible you know, eight or so weeks that, we, that we've had the, the World Cup. If there was if there was one moment for you that kind of like stood out above all, what do you think it would be? I think it's got to be Portugal's try at the end of the Portugal Fiji game. Mm-hmm. Mate, what a moment that was! Just just because of how well they played and how like everyone had fallen in love with them, and they just played the same style as Fiji, who are like renowned for it, and, and just to mm. win that game, I, I couldn't believe it. I was actually sat in a hotel lobby eating KFC. And it was just unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you like always remember that now. <laughs> <laughs> I probably will. Yeah. I, what about you, Mike? What's your standout moment? Uh, I think I'm not. I'm not going to give the obvious answer of like you know winning the final. I think for me, it was the, it was the quarterfinal victory against France. Uh, I just think particular the first half was just the most amazing first half of rugby I've ever seen, and. I think to win such a close game, you know, bouncing back after losing to Ireland in the groups, going up against the hosts, you know, one of the favourites for the competition, you know, in their capital, I just think 
that was such a huge mountain to climb. So, yeah, I think that performance, that victory, will just always stay with me. There were so many good games in this World Cup. Like, I, mm-hmm. what are we going to do in the next next few weeks, Mike? Because the last eight weeks have just been phenomenal. I know. My mom actually called me today and she said, what are you going to do with your life now that the Rugby World Cup's finished? <laughs> Uh, I know, and I think I just think we've been really blessed. Like we always said about how this was going to be like the most competitive World Cup, and just like it could be anybody's to win it. And I do think it lived up to the standard. I just think that of of recent memories, this has probably been my favorite World Cup. I just, I just think like from tier twos performing to super close games and the knockouts to yeah, yeah, it just had everything you could ever want. Yeah, I think this is the best I'm World South Cup. African side anyway. <laughs> I, I do think this is the best World Cup of my lifetime. Um, it's just a shame we didn't win it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's I think it's a really good point that you bring up, you know, what we're gonna do next. And is I'm really excited to see what we're gonna do now on the pod and yeah. the other sports they're gonna kinda come, you know, our bigger focus. Uh, so if anybody's listening, you know, wants us to particularly dive into something, yeah, let us know. We'd be more than happy to. Um but if you still want a little bit of a rugby fix, yeah. the URC, the Premiership, the Women's 15 League is still going on this weekend. And Ben's going to let you know what games he thinks you should, you guys should be watching. I'm going to st- start off with the Prem because I think it's the best best club competition. Like It's down to 10 <laughs> teams, which is, which is sad, we're going to be honest. But it means mm-hmm. all the teams are stacked. And probably apart from Newcastle, and my dad's a fan, so I'm going to say it here. Like, all of the teams could be in the top four. Like, it is tight from top to bottom. Yeah. And to be honest, I feel like Newcastle are going to get good anyway. But yeah, so the game we've got is, is Exeter v Bristol. So these are two teams that have both been doing pretty well without their uh, international players in. they both kind of, you know, a bit exciting, good to watch. And that is on at Sunday at 3 p.m. So, and uh, I'm wearing my Northampton Saints jumper. And uh, that game's on a Saturday at 3. So watch Northampton beat Bath with... Finn Russell at the helm. That'll be a big one. Obviously, Northampton Saints were semi-finalists last year in the Prem, but now Bath have brought in Finn Russell uh, to try and you know boost their hopes of winning the Prem. So that I think that'll also be a great game to watch. Mm, I know. What about you, Mike? URC specialist. I am the URC specialist for sure, without doubt, the best league in the in the entire world. I think so. My my pick for this weekend is going to be Connacht versus Ulster which is at 25 to 8 on Saturday night. See, I think this game should be really, really close. I think, you know, Connacht have just re-signed Bundiaki for a couple more years. And this is also a bit more of a, a grudge match because last year in the playoffs, Ulster were the favourites in the quarterfinals when they went up against Connacht, having been in the semi-finals the year previously as well. Um, but Connacht caused a bit of an upset. And they beat Ulster to go through to the semi-finals. So I'm sure Ulster will be wanting to get some revenge. So I think that should be a really, a really good game. And they're both in good form right now as well. Only, but the competition just kicked off. Yeah, all Ireland derby as well. Yeah, yeah, precisely. So it should, it should just be a really good uh, head-to-head. I mean, I'm not wearing my Stormers jersey because it was only appropriate to wear this one this week. But the Stormers are playing Glasgow. On Friday night, uh, around 7.35, again, I think is the right time. And the Stormers are off to a flying start. And, yes, yeah, so now they're touring. They had two very good wins 
uh, in South Africa, but now they're touring and they're going to do like a four four week tour uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. So can they produce results away from home? And particularly away at Glasgow is like t- we've we've struggled against them in the previous years. So and there will be a matchup against Monster coming up on this little trip that we have. Yeah. So a replay of the 2023 final, which should be huge coming. Yeah, so, you know, can they storm through Europe just like they've uh, done at home? Are they going to blow them Boo. all away? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm just saying, how can it be the best league when games are starting at 7.35? What time is that? What is that as for a time? Why? It's just because, you know, we've got to cater for England, Wales... Sorry, not England. We could probably talk about that in another episode. (laughs) Uh, Wales, Ireland, Scotland, Italy and South Africa. So I think it's just uh, to keep you on your toes. Yeah, but what's the five minutes for? What's the 35? I'm I'm sorry. My my timing doesn't doesn't fit to that. Well, that's that's why you can't join the party, Ben. (laughs) That's why you... <laughs> Typically English, <laughs> but as as you say, in, in the women's fifteen, he's a big one this week. England, who mm-hmm. two on the bounce, um, facing New Zealand in which it seems it's two years ago now, but it's still a rematch from that final. Yeah, and we're getting close to the next one, so it's all about kind of certain dominance early. I'm, I'm back in England for it, you know. Although being in New Zealand, it's going to be a huge turnout, so. Yeah, stadium is yeah. probably going to be full. It will be uh, a great one to tune in for. Only problem is it's at 6 a.m. English time. So I might watch it on catch up. I'm going to be honest because it's a Saturday morning and I'm not ready for it. Completely understandable. I don't, I don't blame you. And I also want to give a particular shout out to the Scotland's women rugby team because they won the inaugural women's 15 tier two so it was between them and Italy I believe and Italy just needed three extra points in their victory to secure the title but they fell short so it meant that Scotland women managed to lift the trophy so congrats to them yeah and gutting that there's no promotion this year because it's coming in coming in soon so you know they could be could be up in the top tier but it just means that you know they're uh, it would mean that the women's six nations come this february march time should be even more exciting to to watch so uh yeah we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on them it's true it's true well one last game bit of a bit of an exhibition match wales are playing again aren't they mike yeah so they they go up against the barbarians at two o'clock two thirty sorry on saturday and uh, I'm just a bit baffled, you know, why this fixture is happening, you know, why Wales have, you know, you know, saying that another international team. I know it's going to look very different to the the team that we saw at the World Cup, but, you know, Wales managed to go out on the quarters. If they want to, you know, see a bit more of their, their boys play, then this is the, the perfect time to see it happen. In the nicest way possible, this game screams of cash grab. Like... <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> there's been a lot of reports about <laughs> Wales fans and and money, and yeah, hopefully you know it, it does work out for them because yeah, there's, there's not doing well financially the Welsh boys, but yeah, it's lucky that Wales went out in the quarters so they can have a bit of rest for this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rumours are though that Alan Wynne Jones will be playing for the Barbarians, so whether that's true or not, we'll find out. But it'll be good to watch him go come up against his old countrymen. Absolutely. Yeah, so 
Even though disappointingly as it is, no World, Rugby World Cup, there's still plenty of rugby to seek your teeth into. And, you know, we've not even scratched the surface of all the other sports that we want to talk about. But, yeah, we're excited to delve into it in, in future podcasts. But, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Yeah, cheers everyone. We've had fun. I hope you have too.